So, um, good morning, everybody. Glad to see you guys here. Uh, happy Father's Day. So, yeah, you can do a you can do a clap for that. That's good, right? Uh, if you want to turn to Philippians chapter four, verse six, that would be great. And um, we're going to talk about uh, faith. We're going to talk about fear today. Uh, so, Philippians four, uh, verse six. Uh, says this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so I want to start off with this here, uh, the word anxious in verse six. Um, that word is, um, you know, this is an English translation that comes from uh, originally written in Greek. And that word is a merminate. Um, and that word uh, has a couple different um, connotations to it. It makes sense to um, understand like what's around it that kind of pushes the word to mean something. But this word uh, is root is about being the act of being consumed by something uh, that actually produces action in your life. And so there's this consuming thing that comes on into your life that creates something. And so there's a positive and negative side of it. Typically, this word is used on a negative connotation of anxiety and anxiety being the bad side of it. Uh, the positive side of it could be deep care. This word is also used to mean care in the New Testament in one other place. And so when we look at this word, we could say, you know, I have deep merminate for my children. And we could say I have deep care for my children or I have deep anxiety for my children. It depends on the context in which the word is being used. And so the New Testament typically used this word uh, for merminate to be uh, on the negative side as an anxiety side. Uh, and so when we look at what this word means in action, remember you're consumed by something and because you're consumed by something, it produces action. That produce, the productive action that's happening typically looks like apprehension in our life every day. It could look like um, um, causing us to freeze, having consuming concerns, or maybe that your mind is racing and it won't stop. And so it's all you think about and you just really can't focus. Sometimes your breathing may increase or maybe you'll hold your breath longer because you have a lot of anxiety. You may get shaky, but you're literally overtaken by the emotion or the things that are outside that are pressuring you. And so that's what this idea of marinade is, anxiety. We all know that anxiety, again, all those things are things that you experience when you experience anxiety. When you experience anxiety, you feel consumed by the context in which you're in. And that context is making you do things that are not normal like get shaky, breathe funny, whatever the case may be. Maybe stutter over your words. So when, you're, when you look at this here and you read verse 6 again, be anxious for nothing but in everything, in prayer and supplication, we see that this anxiety is actually pitted against what prayer and supplication is to produce. And that's where it goes on to say that you want to make your request be known to God and you want to be thankful. And because of that, verse 7 starts with the peace of God that the peace of God will literally help you surpass all understanding. So you know that anxiety is counter to the peace of God in this context of what we're looking at here. And so when we look at this here, we see this verse calls us not to be anxious or consumed or overtaken by anything, but we should be consumed and overtaken by what verse six says, prayer and supplication. And you also do that with an attitude of thanksgiving. And you do that by letting your requests be known to God because you have trust that the Father, God, is going to hear you and he is going to respond to you. And that is what you do when you feel those outside pressures. 
You stop, you pause, you pray, you supplicate, and you give it to the Father. And when he does that, or when you do that, verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. You're not going to get that peace any other way except through uh, the guarding of your heart and your minds, and it's going to happen through Christ Jesus. And so we believe that. We, we just sang three songs about that. Your grace is enough. Great is your faithfulness. Your grace is enough. Great is your love. You are weak to lead, uh, We are weak and you lead the strong. The song Great Things we just sang says, we come and worship the king. And we worship him because he conquered the grave. He breaks every chain. He does great things. He's been made beautiful in the storm. And I know he will do it again. Your promise is yes, yes, and amen. Those are the lyrics of the songs we just read. Another one is that we just uh, sang, excuse me, is yes, I will. I will count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now. Yes, I will lift you on high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. I will sing joy. My heart is heavy. All the days of, all the days, yes, I will. I choose to praise, to glorify the name above all names that nothing can stand against. These are the songs we just sang about faith and hope and love and peace, that we have great confidence in God, for God, to remind uh, us how truly good God is and how truly wonderful he is to give us this peace, to pull us through anything. Those are the, so those are the songs we just sang. This is the faith. This is which produces peace of God in our lives. But I want to ask you today, and I want to kind of flip that question, does that peace of God surpass all understanding? So we know when we look in our lives that we should have peace in God. We understand that. But I want to pull out something that I think really hit me maybe a couple months ago, and then Pastor Phil asked me to speak today, is the beginning of verse 7. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Meaning, do you ever have that inner peace that makes absolutely no logical sense? Have you ever experienced that peace where you go, this is chaotic, this is insane, I should not be okay with this, but for some reason, I have peace about it? Have you ever been free in a chaotic situation of anxiety? Have you ever been free in a chaotic situation that is just out of control, that even though in the midst of tragedy, you are confident and have peace that God is who he says he is? Or do you allow your thoughts and your feelings to ruin and cloud and dampen that peace? That the father says that he will give to us in this text so let's talk about fear it is father's day and as fathers we are not supposed to be weak we're not supposed to be afraid we're supposed to be tough we're supposed to be strong we're supposed to exhibit strength we're supposed to say we've got this and that's true that is our role as fathers those are things that are inherent to what we want to do and how we want to live and that's what we want to do that we want to face the fear and we want to demolish it but there are fears that we face as fathers and as men. And women feel the exact same things, but today's Father's Day, so I'm just critiquing towards that. Failure. Men, we have a fear of failure and the shame that comes with it. This is a reality. Disappointments from others. You know, it's hard to admit that as a, as a person, you've messed up. It's hard to admit that you have screwed up at something in your life. And sometimes we'll do that mentally, but to actually go to somebody else and say, I made a mistake and I'm sorry. Those dreaded two words, I'm sorry, is very difficult because we have to admit that we failed at something. We have to admit that we did something wrong. We have to admit that we did not 
have it under control. Another example of fear that uh, I think we all face is being the fear of being weak or incompetent. We want to know that we have what it takes to get the job done. So um, maybe uh, some of you here have messed up at work pretty big and you made a very big grave mistake at work. And so you felt incompetent because it not only impacted you, but it impacted others, it impacted the business and other people have been impacted by your failure or your um, being weak or incompetent to understand something or do something right. This fear of being fired and not being able to provide for a family, that's a reality that I think every single person experiences. Another fear that we will experience in our life is the fear of being irrelevant, not leaving a legacy. We want what we do to mean something and we want what we're doing to mean something to other people, to impact them in a positive way. We want our child or our spouse or our loved ones to say, I want dad at the birthday party. I want to see so-and-so show up. I want them to go out to dinner with us. We want us as a father, we want, to, we want our children to enjoy our time with them. We want them to want us. So sometimes having the fear of irrelevance will also um, drive us away. We also have a fear of looking foolish, being criticized, made to look like we're not up to par, made to look like we have no clue, tear a man down verbally or point out his flaws and make them look bad. And so we cringe and we struggle with that. Those are real fears that we face and we experience. I can tell you, um, you know, for myself, this is the area that I fear. I struggle with the idea of looking foolish. You can ask anybody. Uh, I'm not good at taking uh, uh, jokes at myself. I always have to kind of fight against it because I always take it personally. And that's just something that as a dad, as a father, as a guy, that's just something that comes to me. That's just something that has been in my heart that happens. And so what do we do as men when we have these failures and these fears that happen in our life? We begin to become defined by our work. We begin to work very hard at doing something. We bury it, we put up stone walls, and we lock the fear away and we don't deal with it. And so we go to work longer hours, we pick up more work, we pick up more hobbies, and we drown out the noise of the fear. And we almost get to the point where we do everything we can to get rid of those fears, to get rid of those things, so that we can make sure that we justify those actions by saying, hey, I am paying it forward. So one day I can retire and sit on my couch and relax and not have to work and not have any fear because I am sustained. I am retired. I have everything I've got to do. And so we bury those things and we look towards the future and we put our heads down and we stiff arm all the way to the end. While that might be admirable, that isn't the peace of God. That is man-centered work in security. That is man-centered work on trying to get to the end of it and saying, I've got it, God. Thank you for loving me, but let me take it from here. And may I submit to you that perhaps it's because we don't believe what verse 6 and 7 says. That the peace of God can actually surpass all understanding. And that we allow the peace of God to say, I've got you. I'm taking care of you. And therefore we say, well, because you're taking care of me, I will then trust in that and move forward. Sometimes we choose to ignore the voice of God rather than choose to hear the voice of God. And so we don't lay our life down before him in removing anxiety by prayer and supplication and being thankful for what we have in our life. Rather, we say, I've got it. I don't have peace and I'm going to control my end game. So we look at this here. We look at Philippians chapter four. So if you want to look with me real quick at verse two, 
And if we read these verses here through two through nine, I want to read this to you. It says, I implore you, Yodia, I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And so we want to drive towards why does Paul say these in verses six and seven? He says in verse three, I urge you also, true companion, help these two women who have labored with me in the gospel, which Clement also and the rest of the fellow workers whose name are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brother, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good rapport, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And these things which you learn and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Pretty factual statements. We have a church here in, in Philippi. We have two people that are not getting along and fighting. And Paul invites the people at this church to come alongside and to help them work through these matters. And he tells them to rejoice and he admonishes them to be anxious for nothing, but to do the opposite of what anxiety is. And that is to prayer, supplicate to the father and to do it with thanksgiving. And therefore you will receive the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And that peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say that. And finally, when you do all that, there are certain things that you will think about that you will dwell on. Being true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good, rapport, praiseworthy. He tells them to meditate at them. And then he says, I encourage you to do these things as you have learned, as you have received, as you have heard, and as you have seen Paul do. And the peace of God will be with them. So if you want peace, very clearly, pray and ask for it. Do it with a thankful heart. Meditate and pray on that which is true and noble and just and pure and lovely. And do what you learned and received and heard from Paul. And so the scripture says. And so we look at this here and we say, how does this happen? Verse seven, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Your translation might say passeth all understanding or transcends all understanding. That word surpass, or I'm sorry, that, excuse me, that word surpass is a very important word. That word means to be at a higher point than another thing. It means to be in control, in a controlling position of another thing. It means to have authority over another thing. It means that it is of higher value to something else. That's why it is translated as excellence or surpassing or transcendent because it is better. It is governing. It is in control. It is of a higher standing than the opposite of what it's saying. The peace of God is the opposite of anxiety and the peace of God will surpass the all understanding because the peace of God is higher than understanding. The peace of God has authority over understanding. The peace of God is of higher value than understanding, as the text says. And the peace of God literally governs understanding. The peace of God means it has control and power and ability to overcome your thoughts and your understanding. It means that you can look at something and say, in the face of adversity, the Father, God, has it, and I'm at peace with it. I'm not going to allow the context of what's going on to make me anxious. And if I do have that, I'm going to pray and supplicate to the Father, and I'm going to be thankful because I know he gives liberally, and I know he gives to us. So much so that this 
peace of God that's literally of higher value, of greater of importance, that controls and governs your mind will literally drive you to meditate and to think and to consider the things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, and of praiseworthy. And you will enjoy and take pleasure in those things. And you will meditate on those things because the peace of God literally will take over your mind and your heart and it will guard your mind and it will guard your heart and it will do that only in the name of Christ Jesus. And so we say, that's great. That's awesome. That's amazing. We love what the text says. But let me point something out to you. This is the end of the book of Philippians. There is a beginning. This is the crescendo. And so we say, how did Paul get to that? That's his uh, like thesis coming in a summary statement. If you've ever written a, piece, uh, a paper or a research paper, that's his final summary of what he's talking about here. And so to understand that, we have to go to verse 1. How did he set this up? So let's go to chapter 1 of the book of Philippians and see how he starts off and how he actually gets to the confidence to say this in chapter 4. And in chapter 1, verses 1 through 6 says this. He starts off his entrance, his introduction to the church at Philippi. And he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints at Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always, even in prayer of mine, making requests for you with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel, from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so I want to point out a couple things here. What he just said at the end of the book of Philippians, prayer, supplicate, thanksgiving, he just said that at the beginning of the book of Philippians. Verse 3, I thank my God of every remembrance of you. Always, even in prayer, I make making requests for you with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing he is confident of this exact thing that he's praying about with thankfulness which he ends the book of philippians with because he is saying in verse six i am confident of this very thing he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of jesus christ and the point of this is he doesn't say philippians you are going to complete it. He doesn't say, Philippians, you are going to work hard. He doesn't say, Philippians, you guys are going to complete this in the day of Christ Jesus. And he doesn't even say, you Philippians started it. He says he. And that he, that pronoun, is talking about God, the Father. The Father God, who has the Son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and died on a cross. He is the one that started it. and He is the one that will end it. This is significant. God is alive and he is active in the life of these people at the church at Philippi, just as he is alive in our lives. So I ask you, are you living like you are live? Are you living like God is working in you? Are you living like, you know, God has started it and are you living like God will complete it? Or are you living like you have started it and you will finish it? And God might be a good part of that equation. He is not the one that is working out that equation. Because I would tell you that he is the one that is working out that part of the equation with you. You know, Paul also says in the book of Philippians, if you want to turn to chapter 3 with me, he tells us exactly how I started off today. When he says, hey, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to set it all up for success so that I can have a good ending. He says this in Philippians chapter 3, if you follow along with me. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. 
Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I more so. So Paul is saying, hey, if anybody's confidence says, I got it, I've done way better than they have. Paul says this. And he's talking about his previous life. He says this, these are my credentials. This is my resume. This is what I got that other people don't. I'm circumcised on the eighth day from the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, I'm a Pharisee. That's all in verse five. That's his resume. Verse six, he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning righteousness, which is of the law, I'm blameless. He goes on in verse seven, he says, but what things are to gain to me, these things I've counted lost to Christ. He says, I've got it all. I've done it all. I've ticked every single box. It's all about me and I've got it. But he says in verse seven, but what things were gained to me that I have counted for loss is Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things of loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness. So he starts off in verse four about his righteousness. Look at everything I've done. And he throws it away because he says, my righteousness isn't good enough. Look at verse nine again. And be found in him, Jesus, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness, which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Paul has confidence in his previous life. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He's from the nation of Israel. He's got the tribe of Je Benjamin. He is a Hebrew of all Hebrews. He's a Pharisee. He's got zeal. He's blameless. That's his resume. That's the equivalent of us saying today, I've got my own shots. I was born in, priv in a privileged country. I'm from a privileged family. I'm well connected in the community. I'm on every board. I've been promoted. I followed all the rules. I've got straight A's. I was valedictorian. I was recruited in college at a young age. I got promoted every two years for the last 18 years. I won employee of the year. I've won every single thing I can in my work. I'm a man and I work in the community. He has done it all and then some. He's had his cake and he gets to eat it too. That's the equivalent of what Paul said in chapter three, verses four through six. I've done it all, I've made it all, and look at me, look at how good I am. But that doesn't mean anything compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Choosing your resume over Christ doesn't get you anywhere. Choosing your resume over Christ, in fact, what he says in verse six, concerning, I'm sorry, what he says in this text here, he says concerning to knowing Christ, that it is actually nothing. You know, Paul worked so hard to make sure that he wasn't a failure. He worked so hard to make sure he wasn't perceived as weak or incompetent. He made sure that he didn't look irrelevant. He made sure that he didn't look foolish and he made sure that he was literally defined by his work. And what did that gain him? And even though he, con he controlled it all and had it all, he was promoted and respected. He had no reason to fear. He was empty. He was empty when you compare it to the knowledge of knowing Christ. And so you look at verse eight, yes, indeed, I also count all things for the excellence of the knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, I count them as rubbish 
So here, uh, in compared to knowing Christ Jesus, most of us here probably don't use the word rubbish. It's not a word that we use. We understand what it is, but we don't really necessarily get it. That word is skubala. That's what that word is in Greek. And when you translate it to English, it literally means excrement. It means manure. It can mean human fecal matter. It can mean rubbish, garbage, junk. It is excrement or manure. That is the value of his resume and everything he's ever done when he compares it to the knowledge of knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. So think about that. Think about everything you've ever done. Think about everything you've ever worked for outside of knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. What is so? What would be as a value to throw it all away and to get rid of all of it? Paul tells us exactly what is so important, and that's the knowledge of knowing Christ. Look with me to chapter 2. Chapter 2, he explains what knowing Christ is and what we learn about Christ in chapter 2, verse 5. Let the minds be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So he says, I want you to have the same mind that Christ has. When you know Christ, you know his mind. When you know his mind, you, em you emulate that because he consumes you. Verse 6 of chapter 2. Who is being conformed to God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and having been found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and those in heaven and on earth and those under the earth and those in the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see here that although Jesus is God while on earth, he did not play the God card. He lived a life, experiencing life as a man in flesh, who is God, wrapped in flesh, and experienced all that we did. Jesus did not consider his equality with God as something to be used to his advantage, but he gave it up and humbled himself to experience what we experience. And in verses 7 through 8, he gave up his divine privileges, fashioned himself as a man, humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. God died on a cross that day. Verses 9 through 11, therefore God elevated Jesus and highly exalted his name above every name. And he guaranteed that every single person will bow the knee to Jesus Christ and declare him as Lord. And it doesn't matter. And he even qualifies what every means. He says every tongue, every knee, that if you're in heaven, if you're in earth or you're under the earth, whether you like it or not, you will bow to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will declare him Savior. You will declare him Lord. And so the question is, will you do that willingly today while you're alive? Or will you do that unwillingly when he forces the knee in the resurrection? You see, right now, you have the opportunity to understand Christ and believe in him and the power of his resurrection. And that is what Paul, that, that is what made Paul say in chapter 4, that you can have an understanding, that sur you can have a peace that, uh, that surpasses all understanding. Because Paul learned the gospel. He learned that Jesus is God. He learned that Jesus is the Savior, and that without Jesus, there is no Savior. He learned that his life was human fecal matter. It was manure compared to Christ. 
And if Jesus is your savior, you will know Jesus. You will experience the power of his resurrection, which will result in the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And so we say, what is the gospel? The gospel is saying, recognizing that you are a sinner. And so you say, have I ever told a lie? Have I ever stolen anything? Have I ever used the Lord's name in vain? Have you ever looked at another person with lust? Have you ever craved or desired something of your neighbors, their house, their car, their spouse, maybe their children or their boat? Have you ever coveted? If you've answered yes to any of those, then the punishment of those sins is death and hell. And that is what everyone is driving towards without Christ. And so there is a person named Jesus. And that person who is God became man who never sinned, died on the cross for your sins and bore the penalty for your sins. And all you have to do is repent of your sins and believe the gospel. Literally turning away from the life of sin, turning away from the I got this mentality, look at my resume and understand that your life and everything you've accomplished is nothing. When you pay, and it pales in comparison to the power of the resurrection. It is nothing compared to Jesus. And that you believe and have faith that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you believe that and you repent of your life of I've got this and you allow God to say, let me start it, let me finish it, then God will start a good work in you and he will finish a good work in you. And therefore you will have nothing to be anxious about because the power of God himself will be working in and through you. And the peace of God, which has all authority and all power and all governance, will control your understanding. It will control your heart. It will guard your heart. It will guard your mind. It will protect you. It will drive you. So that when people look at you and they say, I do not understand how that person has peace in the midst of their struggle or their craziness or the chaos in which they're experiencing, you can say, yeah, I don't understand it either. But God controls my heart and he controls my mind. And God is the one who's working this out in me. And I know that I have the peace of God. And I know that it doesn't make sense. But the peace of God is literally working. God the Father is working through God the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit to guard my heart and to protect me. To guard my mind and to protect me. And God will do all that in the name that is above every name that every knee will bow to. And he will say, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Do you want to know him? Do you want to know this power of his resurrection? Do you want to know this peace that you can only have in Jesus? And so I ask you this morning, if you're sitting here and you're saying, I don't have that peace and I don't have that power. I don't feel like I have that. I'm, I feel dampened and I feel quenched and I feel um, overcome by the things in the world. Or sometimes I see him and then it gets cloudy and it gets muddy. I just want to ask you today, whether you're a father that struggles with these hidden fears or you're a mother that struggles with the same kinds of fears, come forward and pray with us today. Let us pray with you. Let us just talk about and pray and let's set our minds on the things that are noble and true and just. Because for us to be comfortable with who God is, we have to know him. And so I want to ask you today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, would you just ask us to pray with you that you would know Jesus Christ? Maybe you know Jesus Christ, but the power of his resurrection is something that you haven't experienced. Let's, let's pray about that. Come, and, come, come forward and see me today or see Adam or see anybody else that's on staff here. Or maybe your Sunday school teacher or your adult Bible fellowship or your um, uh, adult Bible fellowship leaders. 
This is a reality. This isn't some pie in the sky example of, wow, I can have peace in the face of adversity. It is a reality and you can't experience it. You can't feel the power of his resurrection. And so I ask you, do you want to know it? Do you want to know the power of his resurrection? It involves repentance and belief that what Christ did on the cross is true. And it involves the ideology that God started it and he will finish it. Let's pray. Lord God, we just unite our hearts today and we ask that you would be made known. We ask that your power would be real. Father God, I ask that you would touch our lives and our heart. We know that the scripture, the living and active power of God is in our hands or on our phone or in our bookshelf at home. And Father God, we, we pick that up. May we experience it, you. May we experience the power of what your gospel tells us, that we are sinners and that we need salvation. And may we repent of our sins and that we turn away. May we live a life and realize that the anxiety and the fears and the struggles that we have in our life is us taking our eyes off of you. And may we focus our eyes and our hearts and our minds on you so that we can receive the peace of God that surpasses all logic and that we can know that we are in the arms of a loving father by the power of the spirit, thanks to Christ's death on a cross. And we ask that you would be made known and powerful in our lives. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.